0: just in, um, as far as a reminder, if you uh, have not received your newsletter, I do believe there's still some more at the, at the table, I do believe, and uh, it's, of course all of these are always timely, and depending on what month we were in, and of course this is really good, it starts off with the song of John's father, Zacharias, and uh, quite a song that is, as we've been singing this morning. and. Singing from our hearts, singing uh, with melody, singing with joy, right? And it's certainly a privilege to do that at this time of the year, Christmas time of the year. And, uh, of course, probably we'll give a Christmas message next week, uh, since that's the Sunday before Christmas. I'm not so sure what we will do the next week, which is the very day after Christmas. We might continue some of these Christmas songs. Um, and at the same time, we have good news coming up next week. Uh, in the meantime, we have the bad news, because people are bad, bad. There's been songs written about bad, and uh, we have uh, a mirror in front of us today, which is the most riveting, I believe of all, about the state of man. And it really explains what's going on in the world, what's gone on and what will continue to go on until Christ comes back and makes things right completely. In the meantime, he's still doing that, isn't he? When you look at the Bible, what do you see the most? Well, you say, well, God, Jesus, the Trinity, heaven, all of those. And you continue to see them all throughout the Bible, don't you? Uh, the very greatness of God is is about. But also in the Bible, you see something that is disturbing, and it's the sin of man. All men, all people, at any time. Now, you think, okay, well, that's in there just a little bit, right? Well, when you across through the pages of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, I uh, do tell you that you see constantly the depravity, the wickedness of man. And you can say, oh, we're still in that? (laughs) Yeah, we're in that text because it's all over the Bible. You see, there's no good news until we see really what the bad news is. Is a bad to the bone kind of bad. Uh, Genesis 3 interrupts the beauty of God's creation because in Genesis 3 is where we see the fall of Adam and Eve and all of mankind that follow after that. They inherit the sin, the very sin nature that. Adam and Eve had. And and that story of the nature of man continues right on from Genesis 3 all the way to Revelation 22. You can't ignore it. People would like to, but it's there. It's all over the Bible. It's a story about God. It's a story about redemption. The thread is woven through it all the way through the Bible about God sending His Son to be a Savior of the people's sin. We know about that. It lifts God up. It shows His glory. But in the meantime, I wonder how much there is of the sin of man compared to the glory of God that's seen in the Bible. I was kind of a... Thinking about that this week, as I take my walks at work, and it kind of occurred to me. I wonder how often that is in percentage. Would you like to know? I don't know. If you if you know, let me know. But I, I uh, ask a lot of questions, and I really couldn't find that. There might be something on it. Surely somebody has done a study of the verses that are the sin of man versus the glory of God. And believe me, the glory of God is all over the Bible but also we know about the failure of man. It's mentioned so often. So after the fall, what we see is the effect on all of mankind, and we know Genesis 3. In Genesis 6, you see where God says that He saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, And the Lord was sorry that He made man on earth. That's what we see. And throughout that, we know that God then sent the flood and He brought that judgment upon the world. Everybody was destroyed except Noah and his family, eight of them. And they repopulated the earth. They multiplied and they do exactly what God doesn't say or vice versa they, uh, after multiplying, came together and realized that they wanted to make their own God. They wanted to make their own temples for their own God. As they had one language, they were one people with one language, and that reaps all sorts of havoc. And that's exactly what we see. God separates mankind and they are no longer of one language, one tongue. And he gets them out the way that he needed to as he separates them. Then there's the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. And everybody knows something about Sodom and Gomorrah. It doesn't matter what language you speak, what nation you're from, what religion you're from. Everybody's heard of Sodom and Gomorrah. And I think it's a testimony of the sin of mankind. And of course we know it deals with idolatry very easily sticks out as very immoral and idolatrous with uh, along the uh, lines of homosexuality and lesbianism and all the wicked things that go with that. Then God, uh, in this story, by Genesis 12, He pulls out Abram from the uh, idolatrous nations. He's a heathen and He is a chosen one to be the father of the nation of Israel. <laughs> And it's not very long as you see God's chosen people rebel against God time after time after time and they're called stiff-necked and very disobedient, idolatrous that they came and then they are, we see that through... Joshua and Judges. We think of the Samuels, the Kings, the Chronicles. And then the prophets warn that there's judgment coming because of the people's idolatry and wickedness, their sin. And it goes on and on through. And then by the time we get to the Gospels, we see some of the most wicked and evil people and they come right from religion. They are the religious leaders of the day. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the lawyers, the scribes. They're all hypocrites. And worst of all is that they crucify God who came to earth, which at this time of the year, you know, we think of the incarnation. Uh, God come to earth. All throughout the epistles we see what justification by faith is. And we see that in Romans and we see that people need to turn from their sins. It's still the message of repent and trust in Christ and Him alone. And that's all throughout Paul's epistles and all the way through Revelation, which we see mighty judgment. We see all the way up to the great white throne judgment because of man's sin. Man actually recognizes this. You see, man has written about himself Every day man writes about himself whether he wants to or whether he even knows it or not. All you have to do is turn on the news. Don't even watch those regular news shows. But, uh, you know, it's all lies. But, you know, they actually are telling on themselves. uh, Telling what man is about the unrighteousness. But let's go back to the time of the Romans. There was a Roman philosopher and philosophers are the wise men of the day. A philosopher by the name of Seneca said this, We have all sinned, some more and some less. Seneca, the philosopher, the secular world. There was another Roman by the name of Ovid. He wrote this, We all strive for what is forbidden. These guys have some truth there, don't they? Absolutely. There's a Chinese proverb which says there are two men. One is dead, and one actually is not yet born. Speaking of the only kinds that you can really have, the dead and the the not born. It's talking about universality of sin. Everybody has sin. Nobody wants to talk about it today if they're unbelieving. They don't want to talk about sin because it's very uncomfortable. We hate it because it brings forth our guilt. You see, actually, most men, though, have to, and, and everybody when I say men, except, in the abstract, as a doctrine, this depravity of man. It's a universal guilt. Everybody has it, and I don't think there are too many people that go around thinking or saying they're perfect. Now, they might think they're perfect, but I don't think you've probably ever heard of anybody saying that they are perfect. Maybe some of them have arrived. I don't know. I've not met one. But, you know, the universal guilt is one of the most profound facts of human history. You can't get away from it. It is there. You can wipe all history out and everybody knows that it's there. That's what they like to do erase history because it shows the sin of man, doesn't it? They're always writing about the sin of man. Pick up a newspaper. Check it out on the internet, wherever you go for your news, and it's always usually telling something how bad things are or related to that. Well, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. The universality of sin is found in pagan religions. Because, see, everybody has had it revealed to them that they're sinners. The religions of the world actually had truth. The truth of the Word of God was gotten to everybody. Go all all the way back to the Tower of Babel. Go back further. They all knew the truth, that there's one true God, right? And we've already seen that in Romans 1. There's one true God. They know that. But if you make up your own God because of your guilt... And you make up this God who has to be sacrificed to. You see, in the one true religion, there is sacrifice, isn't there? And it points to the ultimate sacrifice, which is Jesus Christ at the cross. They don't like that, so they make their own religion. And they make their own way to feel good about themselves, so they sacrifice animals. And uh, in some cases, like uh, the god Molech, They would sacrifice their children, as we see in the Bible. How wicked can you get? But that's what they would do. Well, man offends his own gods. (laughs) Imagine that. And so they have a sacrifice to placate, to please God, their God. So there's some kind of sacrifice that they do, they go through. And so somebody could say, well, I'm not of any pagan religions, I'm not of any religion at all. So there's the great psychiatrist, I say great because many would refer to him, I think even today, by the name of Carl Mininger. I'm sure, yeah, uh, I see Penny shaking her head, that's what I was looking for. Barb, other people read about them, probably might have even read their works. He wrote a book called... Whatever became of sin? Now, as far as I know, Carl Minajer was really not a believer. No way, right? He was a skeptic at best. <laughs> but he wrote a book about whatever became of sin, and he said that sin actually had disappeared out of the vocabulary. And he said, though, that the sense of guilt still remains. This is a psychiatrist. Well, a psychiatrist, I want something good to come out of this, right? Give me the answer. Give me the cure to my guilt. Isn't that the real problem that everybody has? They have guilt. Well, he admitted that, uh, that sin is not even talked about today. And, and that's kind of negative that he was talking about. I mean, he's agreeing with that, folks. Carl Menninger, would that be right? Am I right on this? Okay, so if you were to read his works, we know that he never came up with a solution to the problem of sin. Now we today, sitting here, know completely what that answer or the solution to sin is. Menninger couldn't offer it as a psychiatrist. He has no hope to give people a psychiatrist, which that's their job. But they can't do it. They can put band-aids on people and make them feel good to the next time they visit them and then pay their bill. (laughs) But what we have today is a testimony to the universality of sin. And Carl Menninger was saying that. The philosophers of the ages actually said that. Do we use the word today as uh, a very common vocabulary? No. An unbeliever is not going to talk about his sin because when you say sin, it offends themselves, it offends others. They don't like that. Maybe a little bit of a problem. Something like that maybe, but never, you don't say sin. I want to tell you in the text that we have today is a mirror. It's a mirror that each one of us is going to look into ourselves. Romans 3, verses 9 through 20, and we're going to try to tackle every bit of that is the most riveting condemnation of man's sin of all condemnations. That's including what man has said about sin and what God has said about sin in particular verses. I think this one compilation here is the very thoughts of God wrapped into a huge package. It's the thoughts of God about mankind. And it's for all to read and hear. So when you give the gospel, what do you give? You have to start with this message. You say, well, they won't like that. Well, okay, give your rendition of the gospel then. You have to start with the bad news. The universality of sin is made plain and very clear. So... Let's uh, read this text. What I just said is so condemning of man. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we've already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. Here's the key. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands, there is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become useless. There is none who does good, there is not even one. Their throat is an open grave, with their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be closed. And all the world may become accountable. God, because by the works of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Father, what a terrifying, horrible verdict you've given us. Lord, we have to take this seriously. We have to see what you are saying. It's not the words of just Paul. It's your words. It's not my words. It's not my commentary on it. It's your truth that you have put down. May we see what we once were and what we've been changed from. And if this, this is what we still are, May it be riveting right into our own hearts that we would see that we have a great need. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Wow, folks, we've been on this for a few weeks. It's been heavy. You're still here. Now I know that you're going to be bolting for the door after you read that. We haven't let anybody out yet. We've locked the doors. You say, Dennis, is this all you want to talk about? You've done this for week after week after week. I know. I knew what was happening when we took the book of Romans. But do you know what? We're on the last section of this. There's good news awaiting. There's the glory of God that's going to be shining next week. For the time being. We look at the universality of sin. What I mean by that is it's universal. It's every man, woman, and child that's ever been born, it's ever lived on this earth. This applies to everyone. Nobody has an excuse, nobody has an out. Matter of fact, the god God we just read says, Shut your mouth. Your mouths are shut. You can't, you don't you have no defense. Wow. Uh what it is as we have started at one eighteen, and now have arrived at chapter 3 verse 9 is we've come up to a conclusion. We're going to tie the loose ends together and it's an argument that Paul has been compiling all the way. And I'll tell you what, if that didn't get the attention of anybody I don't know what will. But he's got one last blast. And this is really God's words that we are looking at. I didn't pick and choose to say, okay, we're we're just gonna kill people today, or we're gonna condemn them all. I didn't do that, did I? The book does this. Matter of fact, the whole Bible does, because we just talked about that. Matter of fact, man even writes the same stuff. Hmm. Well, in chapter 118, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So here we are, a, a conclusion. He ties it all together. He's proving it. And uh, by the time we get to our end of our section of day, he will have proved it to everybody. Chapter 1, it's the Gentile. They're all condemned. Chapter 2 is the man who is moral. He does good things. He looks great. People are amazed. They say, yeah, that's a good man. Jesus even said, there is no man good. Christ was the only good man. You say, really? Jesus said, it? yeah, that's true. That's This is what really the Bible is about. Dennis, you just like to talk about sin and depravity. <laughs> Uh, Well, actually, to be real honest with you, I really liked it when we were in Revelation, the last couple of chapters, dealing with heaven. And I could just stay there. But I wouldn't be faithful to God, or to you guys, in preaching the Word of God. So, chapter 2 is not only the, quote, good man, but also the Jew. And then it could be asked, well, what advantage do we have if you're condemning us, Paul? Yes, says you have an advantage every way. You have the Word of God that's been given to you like it was not given to any other nation. And what we have now is like the whole of the Old Testament. and Paul is bringing it in like a mirror. And he's putting before all men for their faces is this mirror. This mirror is up over your head. You can't see over it. You can't see underneath it to look at other people. What you see is yourself. And we look into it and we see what we see that's in the mirror. The mirror is right here as we look at it today. What then? Verse 9 are we better than they? And let's start off, first of all, let's say, Christians. What then? Are, are we Christians better than they? What's the only difference between us and the unbeliever? Jesus Christ. You say, well, I did this. I, I did this. I believed. Well, uh, did you do that on your own? It's all God, right? So before this, you can say, but in another sense, we're not better than anybody else in the world. We can't ever say that. I'm better than them because I chose Christ. You can't even say that. You can't boast about that. You did not choose Christ. You say, what's this all about then? It's all about God. (laughs) It's all about God and about man. God is great. Man is a sinner and lost and dead. And He needs saved. So, are we better than they? How about the Jews? Are we Jews better than they? Well, they had an advantage, and that's what we talked about last week. What was their advantage? God gave them the oracles, the Word of God. They had it. They were responsible. More responsible than the Gentiles. So, he says, well, are we better than they? Uh, No, not at all. Uh, For we've already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin you're all under sin, you're all evil and wicked. Wow, Paul, I don't want to hear a thing you say from your own <laughs> out. <laughs> they had promises, and yet they were under sin. Did you know what? How many times have we uh, ran into that word sin in Romans already? Take a guess. Zero. You mean out of all of this that we talked about, it must be a hundred times? No, he's not said one word about amartia, sin. Uh, This is the first time and uh, we will see more there. But honestly, this is the first time to use Hamadia, which means to miss the mark. To miss the mark very perversely. To miss the mark so wide and far. We're not even close. Can't begin to be close. We miss the mark. Well, you know, uh, there's other words that uh, mean sin. Uh, It means to be one who transgresses the law. One is obedient or disobedient to the Word of God. An express commandment of God is trespassed against. Stepped over the line is trespassing. All of those words are dealing with sin. So uh, people try to deal with their guilt. Everybody has guilt. Why do we have a messed up world, folks? Is it messed up? Would everybody admit that? Would most of the people in the world, sinners alike, unbelievers, would they say this world is messed up? They got to. Uh, you see, you know, it goes back to this, though. Let's point to ourselves first. Their problem is, you know what it is? It's guilt. They have it, and they try to get rid of it. You know what they do? Well, we've known a lot of people who turn to drinking alcohol. And they drink more and more and more because it makes them feel better and giddy and now they can have fun. They can't have fun until they have alcohol and parties. Of course, the Christmas parties are going crazy. This time of the year, New Year's Eve, and then after that it just keeps on going. St. Patty's Day. You think of every holiday and people are doing that. Is that the only time they do it? No, they do it every day. Or most every day, or at least every weekend, because they need more of it. Because why? Because life doesn't mean anything and they want to have fun and get everything out of their minds. Uh, how about drugs? Same thing. Boy, do we have a drug problem here. Legal, illegal. It's all messed up and a lot of you have known who have killed themselves either on purpose or not on purpose because of drugs or drinking. Most of the people I know from drinking have destroyed themselves, either their liver physically or their minds, or they just you, nobody can stand to be around them because it just gets worse and worse, or people like to be around others because it makes them feel better. If they're drinking, then I can drink to get drunk too. Well, the deal is is that they cannot get rid of whatever this is, they try to avoid it. A lot of people, and now probably ever more coming and most uh, probably ever in any kind of generations, it's called suicide. People would rather just take their life out because they're not satisfied with life. Well, I got news, nobody will ever be satisfied unless they're in Christ. And that's where we find our joy. And believe me, I have a tremendous amount of joy. Good times, bad times. Joy is always there. If you're a Christian, you have joy because it's through fruit of the Spirit. Sometimes you forget about it, but it's still there. It's just not showing out like it should. Listen, we don't have to do those things because we don't need them anymore. And I know if, uh, several of you guys used to do all that kind of stuff. Did you do it because a church told you, you quit that? That's wrong, and it's evil. No, you did it because you already knew. It was not healthy for you. Spiritually, physically, mentally. Why are people going to psychiatrists? Why are they going there? Because they have depression. They're not going to get the answer. They're going to get medication. And there you go again with the round of drugs. It's never-ending the universality of sin well proof for Paul is this what do the scriptures say what does he say in verse 10 as it is written Paul I don't believe you well he's already given plenty of scriptures hasn't he and now he has one after another after another after another one arrow after another arrow missiles coming at us and they kill us See, the law kills us. And it does exactly what it is designed for. It will never save you, but it kills you. And that's exactly what Paul said. It killed me. Because he saw the coveting problem, sin, that he had. Paul had coveting? Oh, yeah. How many of you here don't have a coveting problem still today? We battle that, don't we? Well, he draws from the law of Moses. He draws from the Psalms. He draws from the prophets. From 10 through 18, as you look at your Bibles, some of them will have all capital letters there. Do you know what I'm talking about? That means they came from an Old Testament text. A lot of these are going to come out of Psalms. A lot of them are going to come out of uh, Old Testament passages that would be the the prophets. Uh, they're all about all oh, men are under sin, and yes, some bad news. I mean, really bad, really bad news. And you cannot appreciate the gospel unless you've heard the bad news. Because the more that you understand, and now this applies to all of us, even who are Christians now the more that you understand how bad you really were and what your flesh is made of even today, it makes you appreciate the good news of the gospel of glory of Christ more than ever before. So this text applies to us even though it should condemn a sinner where he would say, what can I do? You can't do anything. But trust in the living Savior who resurrected to prove that He is God and came to save you, to buy your sins, to pay it. So what Paul does here is use judicial kind of terms. This whole text is judicial. It's in the language of a courtroom can't help but think of Audrey here. As Paul has, con- has piled one bit of evidence upon another evidence upon another, you don't need this much. But believe me, there are plenty of people, but, 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 and he just keeps piling up the evidence. It's all there for all to see. You know what he does? He treats this like a trial. And you have a trial, you have an arraignment. You have that, and you will have an indictment. And then you will have the verdict. We have all of that before us today. Make believe you are in a courtroom today. Before the very throne room of God. Put yourself into that position. And as you read and hear this it should do something to you. No one can escape escape this indictment. We find that man is sinful at the cross, the very heart of man. The heart is deceitfully wicked. It's desperately wicked. Who can know it? Only God can really know what's here. But as you see what He says about it, now... We have to say, I'm condemned. I have nothing to offer. That's where he wants to get people to know the truth. So he starts off with, and we're going to go through these rather quickly. Uh, we've read these probably many, many times. If you've been part of a Bible study for years, how many times have we gone to this? Anybody that preaches the Word, how many times do they go through this text? It's one of the best, and I think probably the best, to show that man is sinful. Well, I don't steal anything. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't murdered anybody. Uh, I haven't lied. <laughs> We have liars and thieves and murderers and adulterers in here, folks. <laughs> you see, He said it even if you think these things. It's in your heart. You're condemned. Jesus said that. He condemned us all. Okay, here we go. We're going to go and speed this up now. Some of these texts uh, come from Psalm 14. And and we might refer to that once or twice. And then we also have other texts. But um, let's turn to Psalm 14 just for a moment. It definitely, Paul is drawing from this. He's proving, he's showing, yes, in the Old Testament, it condemned you, it condemned the Gentiles, it condemned the Jews, condemned the moralists. Verse 1, what does it start off with? The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. He's a fool, he has no wisdom at all. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. Sound familiar? The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand. They who seek after God. They've all turned aside together. They have become corrupt. There is no one who does good. No, not even one. The first three verses sounds like Romans 3. Verse 10 through 12. You've got the same kind of language going there. Do you remember Romans 1, 17 and 18? 17 says, The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. You have to trust in me and me alone, Jesus Christ, right? That's how we are righteous. The righteous man lives by faith. He's saved by faith. Saved by grace of God through faith. So he says that's the righteous man. Well, how about the unrighteous man? Next verse. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness or unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Yeah, the righteousness of God that is passed on to his people They are considered righteous and then the unrighteous man here is ungodly. He's unrighteous and the wrath of God will come upon him. So there we go. Righteousness as a footnote is the key term um, and theme that is uh, woven throughout the book of Romans. It's mentioned 30 times. Righteousness, get that. That's the rightness of God unrightness of man. If you get those two together, no God, no man, you're on the way to the truth of God. No, I mean K-N-O-W. No, God, I'm sorry. And then no, K-N-O-W, yourself. Know what position you really are in. And admit it. Okay, no one is righteous. No one is capable of pleasing God. No one measures up to God's High standard. You can say, but I do good. I've done a lot of things. Shame on you. You say, for doing good things? Is it wrong to do good things? To do human kindness? No, not at all. But, you see, it means that there is no one whose heart is righteous before God. You know, it's good to do good things here. And unbelievers do good things to believers all the time and vice versa. They provide services for them. But that's not the good that we're talking about. We're talking about rightness before a holy God. We do not meet the standard. Jesus said, be ye perfect, for I am perfect. That's what God says. That condemns us all. The law shows us we've already destroyed that. There's none who understand is the next one in our Romans. When I say, I'm going to move on quicker as it goes here now. There's none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. Look at Psalm 14.2. We were just back there a while ago. What Paul is doing is just drawing from the Jews' own Bible and saying, don't you know, this is what God has always said. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand. And what did he find? There's none who understand. Uh, you'd say, well, doesn't the Bible say in Matthew 7, all those who seek him will find him? It does say that, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Dennis, what do you do about that? Well, also, I'll just make myself a little bit harder to, uh, to prove this. Doesn't Hebrews say he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him? Doesn't it say that? Yes, it does. Absolutely, those who seek Him. Isaiah, it says that uh, if we seek with all our hearts, we will find Him. Is that true? Yes, it is. Isn't that contradiction? No. Maybe to our minds it seems like uh, contradiction, but what are we saying here? We see, if you know the nature of man that we're talking about here, all of this will come together. You see, we do not naturally seek after God. No one seeks after God. No one understands God. They do not understand. In Psalm 53.3, that's another psalm that he quotes from. You can turn there, but basically it's saying the thing that, uh, that they do not understand. They're all ignorant of God. They don't want to know God, and they cannot know God. How about that one? they're unable they have no ability to understand God. Well, how can they seek God? Seeking and understanding you know that it's all kind of going together isn't it all of this uh, you know they, they don't want to feed on truth. why aren't they reading their Bibles then because they don't want to that's why um, to seek is a desire to know God. What is eternal life? Jesus said it in John 17. This is eternal life that they may know Thee. That they may know God. He was praying to God the Father when He said that. It's all about knowing God. Do you want to know God? Well, how come we don't read our Bibles? How come we don't come to church? Why is that? What's well, because we have better things to do or there's just... There's just things we have to do. I don't feel like it today. I'll come once in a while. Where is, how about all through the week? We, we, we need, we need to be around God's people. We need to be around where the Word of God is proclaimed and preached. It is a command to do that. Why do we not read? Why do we not pray the way that we should? We're not seeking after God. And like I say, this is a very difficult text, isn't it? You see, the Christian has it in his heart to seek God, but sometimes why do we not seek God? It's a desire to know God, to enjoy Him. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. I'm here to have a lot of joy and get it off of you people. You know, there's just some days I really kind of get down. And that's when it's time to go into the Word of God. It's time to search why and what is my problem. Well, I'm focusing on myself. Oh, that's right. I've got to go here now. Right? This is it. Well, in Psalm 42, it says... The deer pants after the water. And like that deer pants after the water, so my soul wants to pant after God. I want to seek Him. I want to understand Him, to know Him. John 6 says no man really chooses and seeks after God. it's God who comes to us. He loves us. Because he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. Uh, None do good. I think we've pretty well hit that very hard. All have turned aside in verse 12. Together they have become useless. There's none who does good. There's not even one. There's not one that just, you know, that throws away uh, somebody's possibility to kind of sneak in. They can't do that are we getting it? They've all turned aside. That word is eklino. All of us together have turned aside. All of us together. You get the idea? Eklino. They have fled. They've turned aside. They've gone off the track. They've gone off the path. They've gone off the walkway. they turned away from the word of God they have no particular interest in the glory of God that's not what they're about they're not about the chief end it's about their own glory and then it says they have become useless you say God can you give us a break are you kidding me God you cannot say that we're useless and that's exactly what he said we're useless what does useless mean well collectively collectively We are all useless. And it's the the picture of milk. Milk that goes sour. Whenever you were to take... uh, You may not like milk or whatever, you know, so you don't drink it. But you understand it. You take the milk, you pour it into a glass, you drink it, you go... ah, How old is that? You start looking at the carton. It's, It's rancid. It is no good. It's useless. Would you use it for anything? Put it in the potatoes or something? No, you throw it out. It's, 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 uh, it's a waste. It's rancid. It's corrupt. It's to be thrown away. That's the idea there of useless. Boy, God, can you give us a break? This is really bad. You know what we're doing? We are looking at a mirror. It's not, it does good. We're rotten. We're corrupt. We're to be thrown away. Uh, how can I say it even more? We're rotten to the very core. <laughs> This is all of us. We're rotten to the core. This is universal, remember. So now, we've gone through all that and we've just got a little bit of time left and really we're pretty well near the end even though we have a lot of verses and you'll see why it's going to go quickly. You see, we need to ask ourselves a question. Are we ready for the most terrifying mirror that we have ever seen? you are going to be looking at the most terrifying, horrifying picture of yourself that you have ever seen. I thought what we saw was enough. <laughs> Starts off with the top of the head and goes all the way down to the feet. He takes the anatomy and he's still drawing from Old Testament passages. Wow. Wow. Uh, Here's the mirror. Verse 13. Their throat is an open grave. Starts with the throat, the mouth, the lips, everything. What he's talking about here is the mouth speaks, right? Did you know that you can learn a lot of things about people when they open up their mouth and speak? You will either hear glory to God or you will hear things that are not about the glory of God whatsoever. Some things are either here nor there. But uh, you listen to what that mouth says, and you can tell if you're a Christian, whether they're a Christian or not very quickly, can you not? You say, well, we're making judgments. Well, God's Word makes judgments. But if they do not give glory to God, and they speak, what they're doing is saying, this is what's in my heart. This is the way I really am. I'm not holding any punches here when they speak. And so therefore, but Christians, let this be a warning. Uh, Paul quotes out of, for this verse 13 and 14 out of Psalm 5 verse 9. He quotes out of Psalm 140 verse 3. And he quotes out of Psalm verse 7. They would have known this. They would have known the uh, Scriptures, the Jew would and in our New Testament. We have James three three, to 3.10, which talks about the mouth and the tongue, that it's a flame of fire spreading corruption everywhere. James really doesn't hold back the punches either, does he? The Word of God never does. That's why probably we can sound pretty crude sometimes, but uh, really... He's saying this this is what people really are, isn't is, their throat is an open grave. Spend just a minute or two on this one because this is a gross picture. Nothing is more staggering and unbearable as far as stench is concerned. Than the rotting and corruption of a human body, especially after about three weeks, laying in the grave and not covered up. It was, you see what we have here, it's not about bad breath, it is about something far deeper than that. The grave is open. When people open their mouths, a dead man's stench comes out. This is God that makes this, and it's in the perfect tense. What's perfect tense means? It just keeps on going. Stinking. A stench. Uh, Whenever there would be a dead man, and if they would uncover a dead man, and people would see that, who knows what's left of it, let's say two weeks later, putrid, stinking, decaying corpse. Corpse. I know this is rather crude as I'm saying this, but that's really what God is saying here because we don't understand an open grave. We know there's an open grave when you go to a funeral out of the cemetery and it's open to receive the casket and then they put dirt on it real quick. We don't have open graves, but if people, if the Jews would see that, it was, that was horrid. you would never wanted for that to happen. A filthy smell that comes through the throat in the form of words. That's what he starts off with this in the mirror. And then he says, with their tongues, they keep deceiving. It's still about speaking. They deceive with their tongues. Deceiving there is a word that would be used for trap or bait. A bait on a hook. People will be the nicest they can to up their professional career or to get one uh, to like them, although they actually hate them. And if you were to go to parties, people will speak to you. You know, I don't go to parties, but they they will speak to you how kind and how great and how amazing you are. And then they turn their back and speak over to somebody else and they start talking about that person there, right? They deceive you and they say deceptive words. There's a fish hook there. It's deceptive. Uh, It's like... A fish sees the bait on the hook. He says, oh, lunch. They go right for it, right? Well, sometimes. If <laughs> you have a good bait, it's time to, to get them right, reel them in. Psalm fifty-two-two says, like a sharp razor is the mouth working deceitfully. Psalm thirty-six-three says, the words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. Um, then the next one here in our Romans text, the poison of asps is under their lips. He uses a snake. And the poison that comes out of them, and and you can think uh, uh, they had a little poisonous uh, bag that was underneath the top part of the jaw. And whenever a snake uh, is alarmed, he goes and strikes what the victim is, and at the same time he has a wound, and now in that little bag is poison. And he injects it right into the one who had the bite that he just gave. Uh, words are that bad. Boy, is it? Does it sting? Have you ever had some? Have you ever heard anybody say stinging words about somebody else? Usually, not even true. See, that's what the mouth does. Have we ever offended anybody? Yeah, we have. We've done. We've, we've been snakes. We've deceived people. Our throat is like an open grave. We shoot poison. out. We've done that before, haven't we? As we look into the mirror. And we say, that's all. Oh, this is the nature of man. This is what they do. This is what they do best. Oh, the speaking, injecting venom. So we've seen what's in the mouth, the tongue. The throat, it's all the same kind of thought. Uh, verse 14, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. I really don't really have to say anything about that, right? We can just come out and just offend people, right and left. I think a lot of times we don't even know we're doing it. Sometimes we do. Shame on us if that be the case. What is your motive? What's going on there? Uh, their uh, feet are swift to shed blood. Now we get into the actions. We're talking from the words now to the actions. And he goes to the feet. We've gone from the head. You know, your throat, mouth, tongue. Down to the feet. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Right out of Isaiah this time. Isaiah 59.7 that Paul takes us from. You know what? Men are murderers. Men are murderers, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of crimes going on in our time, always have been since sin, but just a part of life is that men massacre others. By the millions we've seen in China and Russia, socialism that came in in those years, and Hitler's killing of six million, but I'm talking about mass murders. I'm talking about somebody who killed somebody. Uh, not talking about self-defense. We're talking about just murder that people kill people. Not talking about guns. Guns themselves don't decide to kill people. It's the person itself, himself that kills people, he can do with many other instruments. If it's not a gun, he can try many other things you don't believe me, just uh, get the reports uh, of what happens in prison, how prisoners, criminals, kill each other by using a pin, Something that is so minimal, even their bare hands and what have you, can go on. Um, so anyway, their feet, their, their weaponry, uh, the world that we live in today speaks great volumes. I don't think ever in the history of America have we seen these cities that where the crime rate has gone up as high as it has, and the murders that are happening every day, every night, all the time. Unbelievable. And right here in our own state, St. Louis, crime rate is incredible there, Kansas City. They're all liberal and uh, the liberal mayors love to see it because, you see, they don't care about people. They know who's going to die anyway and they don't care about them. They don't want them. They don't need them. They just need themselves. So therefore, that's why we have a cry out for no cops. And Now all of a sudden, some of them are saying, we need the cops back. I wonder why. The, the, their path, the path, Destruction and misery are in their paths. The path of peace they have not known. See, the path is really their walk, their life, what they do. Destruction. Destruction and misery are in their paths. Destruction there is soon trima, It means uh, literally shattering into bits. We're seeing the world and its cities and all the people in it being shattered into bits, folks. Destruction. We live in a time of destruction and, and misery is there. It's suffering and distress. We've heard about it. It's actually happening. A, a painful physical suffering it happens to everybody in every situation it always has. the violence, the bloodshed. Devastation it marks all of human history. I think it is in the numbers now, though, that it has never, ever been in our time. I've never seen this many murders. It's hard to understand murdering the unborn, murdering the babies, murdering kids, kids murdering parents. And to think that a lot of people are getting away with murder because if they're caught, they get in court, they are tried, Considered guilty, they are put in jail, and then they are back out on the streets. No bail. So, they might even commit one before they even go to court. No understanding of God's law, do they? Here's what happens. These are the results that you get. So, now, these are all stark truths for all of us. by nature. There's no fear of God before their eyes and there's the cause of all the problem. You know what the cause of sin? The fool says in his heart that there is no God. And then why does he say that? Well, you see, they don't want to know God. They don't want to know His ways. They don't want to follow Him. All of these things that we've said. They speak evil of God and so therefore, uh, they don't fear God at all. That means to be in awe. It means to be to reverence. In another sense, it means to be scared of God in that He's holy and transcendent and we are not. There is that sense, a healthy sense of fear to reverentially awe God. He's holy. He is holy. You see, a mark of a believer is that he's a God-fearer. He knows that God is holy. He does not want to offend God with his mouth or by his actions. He does not want to sin. He has a sense of awe for God. Psalm 36.1, it says that there's no fear of God. There's an absence of that fear. All the previous evils that we've looked at now here in this text today, and all the indictments rise out of there's no fear God and now we close it up I do this rather quickly because we already know what the law does and it's done its job in verse 19 now we know and this is it this this is where the verdict come here's the verdict right here he's put everything out before now we know that whatever the law says it speaks to those who were under the law he used the law didn't he it speaks to those who are under the law. How about the ones that are not under the law? They're Gentiles never had the law. What about that? Well, you see, they have the law written in their hearts. Their conscience bearing witness. So that every mouth may be closed. They cannot say a thing. They have no other things to say. They can't. And all the world may become accountable to God. Well, you see, the verdict is, now we know... We know what the law says. It speaks to those who are under the law and that every mouth is closed. That everybody is accountable before God. You are guilty. I need a gavel. (laughs) Boom! I'd like to do that. I was thinking earlier doing that. What's the verdict? Guilty! We all are. Dennis, I've had enough of this. It's the standard. God said it. You say, well, I don't believe in that kind of God. Oh, you are in trouble. You better cry out and ask for forgiveness and repent because that's a mark of an unbeliever. Make up your own God. That's what the other people did. They made up their own sacrifices. And God condemns that even more than anything. The law finds them guilty. Who are they under the law? Gentiles off the hook? Nope. in their hearts. What's the law's result? If there is a God, then why doesn't He put a stop to all this pain and suffering? If there's really a God, that's what people are saying, why would He have where there is death and pain and suffering? That's why a lot of people walk away from God. Because it happened in their family. Or it happened because they got some terrible disease. I don't believe in God, then they walk away. I know too many people. Very close that have used that one. That's probably one of the main questions. Maybe the main one. I can't believe in a God that would do that. And you know what God says here? That every mouth may be closed. Who are you, oh man, to speak back back at God? So you can say, well, I don't believe in the Bible then. Dennis, that's just your opinion. Does anybody believe that? Am I just giving my opinion today? If I gave my opinion, you know what I'd be saying, "Boy, isn't it a great day out there? <laughs> beautiful you know it's I'm going to have a good time and have fun. How about you guys? It's all just everything is flowery and it's beautiful, you know that's probably what I would do. probably draw a lot more people, but I can't do that, can I Here's what God says about us. When one is faced with the co-reality of the law of God, you know what? They're left without a thing. To answer, they're guilty. The law was a hammer, and it smashed all the self-righteousness that people have. And we can't say, but, 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 that, the mouth closed. Verse 20, we're done. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. We know about that, Right? In his sight. For through the law. Comes the knowledge. Of sin. And that's where you're slain. We all have to die. Either by the law. And then go confessing to the Lord. Or be killed by the law. And go right on into hell. Which one would you take? Well the diagnosis. Diagnosis that we have here. It is tells you what's wrong with you. It tells me what's wrong with me. What it doesn't do is heal you. All it does is come in and rip you apart and it makes you very mad. It isn't designed to save you or heal you or do anything for you to get you to God. The law did its purpose. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And if you've had that blessing today, praise God because it makes you cry out and say, I need to be forgiven. I need the great Savior. That's what it has just done. You know what it is? It's saying you need to be healed. You look in the mirror and you say, I'm I'm a wretch. Well, from our own perspective if you're without Christ you are in a hopeless condition and you're left right at the end of verse 20 because by the works of the law you won't be justified in God's sight for through the law comes the knowledge of sin and it's just been shown to you and if you didn't believe it before now you do and guess what that's where we leave off this week This is where we have to leave off, and I can't go any further. We leave you undo the next part. To be continued. Don't you hate those? I will give a preview. They always have previews and in Galatians 4. And this is a little bit a part of the Christmas story. Because usually you use this text for the Christmas story. But when the fullness of time came... God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So I do wind up with a good note. But we're still hanging on verse 20. How would you like to just hang on that? Well, verse 21 is the glory of the gospel begins. And it bursts out on the scene, folks. And we have a healer. We have a great physician. And he's the one who can put the balm in Gilead, who can make one right before God to make us righteous I'm going to sing a prayer. You guys are going to sing with me. I don't have them up there on the screen, but it's from joy to the world. The verse that we're going to sing is the third verse. And I will say the words as we do it, but we'll sing it too. The first line is, No more let sins and sorrows grow. You see, this is the moral and the end of the story after we left off at verse 20. Nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessings flow far as the curse is found. Okay. Give me that key, Debbie. No more let sins and sorrows grow. Now the next line is, Nor thorns invest the ground he comes to make he comes to make his blessings flow sins flow far as the curse is found far as the curse is found far as far as the curse is found, now one more time no more let sins no more let sins and sorrows go. no thorns invest the ground no thorns invest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow. He comes to make his blessings flow.